Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Fantastic. John 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through this chapter, but we'll jump little bits, but we're preaching on the whole thing. So John 11 from verse one, we'll finish at seven, then we'll jump ahead. Now a man named Lazarus, everyone say Lazarus, was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus, now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You'll notice that that is input before it happens. That happens in the next chapter. So John, as he's writing this, just pauses and he remembers the whole story of what's happened with Jesus. And he goes, oh, this is the Mary who did this. And then the very next chapter, he records what happened then. Very interesting. Obviously her action did something really significant in the church, so much so that he says, this Mary's that one. And everyone goes, ah, anyway. We're already sidetracked. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. He loved them, so he stayed where he was two more days. I think my Bible's got a misprint. Has anyone got a different version? Anyone got the ESV? That's a better version than the NIV. That's supposed to be more accurate. What does it say in there? Anybody? Oh, it says the same thing. What about, who's got, anyone got one of those NLTs? Does that say anything different? It's not, it's not usual that you read something and you think maybe that, that's wrong because how can you love someone and choose to stay where you are for a couple more days? Anybody? Anyway, we'll get NLTs. Anyone got an NLT? What does it say? Oh, he stayed where he was. Stayed where he was. Oh, so Jesus actually stayed where he was. It's not a misprint. There you go. Anyway. Jesus loved him, so he stayed where he was two more days. And then he says to his, said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jump ahead, verse 17. On his arrival, after staying where he was two more days, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you asked. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes, everyone say believes, in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing, everyone say believing, in me will never die. Do you believe? Everyone say believe. This, are you getting the emphasis? 
of John's chapter, there is an emphasis around resurrection, life and believing. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Jump ahead, verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour. Isn't that, it seems like a hilarious thing to raise. For he has been there four days. By this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. What a scene. Can you even begin to imagine how intense and full on and freaky and glorious and all of the above this moment is? Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Don't stop reading. Verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. They believed in him. Stand to your feet, let's pray. Especially the women in the room, you had a late night last night of God doing great things at Oasis. We need to wake you up. You need to get ready to rumble. I saw two of you yawn while I was reading the Word. Let's get into it. Fire up. Loving Heavenly Father, bless Your Word today. We thank You that You are good. We thank You that You are mighty. We thank You that You are powerful. We thank You that You are resurrection and life. That is who You are. We pray that You would embed that truth in our spirits and our souls, our minds and our hearts today that we might believe and in so believing, see the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and change the world in which we live. We love You, we praise You, we thank You. Do what only You can do, we pray in Jesus' Name and all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. I am... I am not someone who watches or reads a whole lot of news. I don't know about you. The reason I don't tend to watch or read a whole lot of news is because I think most of it is... It's more about ratings than probably telling the truth because they're trying to make their money. But I must confess that in the last few days, I have scrolled through the pages of a variety of news stories, perhaps more than I have in probably as long as I can remember. Anyone with me? The last few days, I have found myself fixed to the news as we are witnessing from a big distance, but we are witnessing evil in our world. We are literally sitting back and watching as evil like bombs are being dropped. Stuff is going down. And I have found my heart grieving a little bit in the last couple of days as I've sat there. Anyone with me in this? As I've just watched this unfolding. And I must confess, I've sat there and I've been thinking about 
my family and thinking, what would it be like for families just like ours? If Christian families who love the Lord, who are just trying to get on and do the right thing in the world in which they live, living in Ukraine, one minute they're sitting around the dinner table, having a laugh, sharing their highs and lows of the day and stories of what's going on. And the next minute they're hiding in a bunker, fearing for their life. What does that look like for them? What does it look like for people who are prayerful and saying, God, intervene, like intercede, like how many times they have, like what would their prayer life look like right now? What would their walk with the Lord look like right now? And you have to think that at some point in the last few days, that just maybe God-fearing Christians in the Ukraine are sitting there and, and, and saying, you know, where are you, God? Anybody? Is it just me? Maybe you're more sanctified and spiritual than I am. But you have to sit there and think that they're just potentially wrestling with how come a good God is allowing such evil to occur right in the city where they live. Theologians would call this this wrestle a, a wrestle around theodicy. Everyone say theodicy. And theodicy is is the theological concept of how a, an all-powerful, like an omnipotent, providential, uh, glorious God can allow the existence of evil in the world. How do those two realities coexist? That's theodicy. And right now in our world, there is a question that is an elephant in the room. How can a good God allow suffering? How can a good God allow some of this stuff to go on? And as I've been thinking about the Ukraine and scrolling through and watching some of these stories and and really my heart being drawn to prayer for those people, it started to occur to me that you don't have to be in a physical bunker to be sharing the same questions of God. Not all suffering exists because there's literally physical war around you. Sometimes there's spiritual war. Sometimes there's emotional war. Sometimes there's all sorts of suffering that's happening. And whether you're living in the Ukraine or whether you're living in the beautiful Adelaide Hills in the comforts of sitting on the lawn with complete freedom to sing and sit in beautiful, comfortable white plastic chairs, worshipping the Lord together, whatever it is, we can still wrestle with the question of theodicy. Amen? I look around this space right now. And I know many of you over the course of the last year have gone through stuff where you have probably sat there and said, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you allowing this? And if we just stay in the news or if we just stay in our circumstance and we don't go to the Word, that question will become a thorn in our spiritual side. And it will start to to tear away at us and it causes many to wander from the truth. But when we come to the Word, when in our struggle, when in our suffering, in our strife, when when we're not just focusing on the situation, but we come 
to the Word, when we come to who God is, we realise that actually He has already spoken about it. And that God has prepared in His Word a, a strength for the struggling. He has given an encouragement to all who are going through stuff so that we might be encouraged, we might be strengthened as we look at the struggle in our world, as we look at what's happening in our world, as you wrestle with stuff in your own life, there is a word for you. And I just find it so interesting that this Sunday of all Sundays happens to be the Sunday that we land on John 11. I planned to preach on this about two months ago for this week. Now you might say that's a coincidence or you might say maybe God is sovereign and maybe there's some people this week who are struggling with some stuff and they need to hear something. And maybe you as you sit here are going real well with the Lord and you're flying. But guess what? This Word is for you too because a day will come when you will go through some things and God wants to put uh, some some strength in you. He wants to, to solidify a foundation for you so that when the rocky times come, when the storms come, you have something to lean back on. Or maybe there's someone in your life who's going through something and you need a word to be able to bring to them and say, hey, here's an encouragement from the Lord. Keep fighting the good fight. Or maybe you are in the midst of this struggle. And today the Lord has a word directly for you that you would be strengthened in the midst of that struggle in the powerful realisation that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. See, as we come to this text, Jesus has just left Judea. He's just left Jerusalem. His ministry on this earth is coming to an end. He's a few months away from the final Passover. He's a few months away from the whole Easter story that we're going to celebrate soon. And he's just left Jerusalem because of what he's doing and what he's teaching. And there are a people in Jerusalem, the religious folk who are getting pretty upset with him. And last time he was there, they tried to stone him and his followers, right? So Jesus has got up and he's left Jerusalem. He's crossed the Jordan River and he's basically kind of out of sight, out of mind for a little bit. But Jesus can never truly be out of sight, out of mind, because anywhere He goes, the Kingdom of God comes and lives get transformed, amen? So He's crossed the Jordan River. And you need to know that Bethany, which is where Lazarus, Martha and Mary are, is about four kilometres from Jerusalem. Jesus, where He is now, is about 30 to 40 kilometres away from Bethany. And so He's out there doing His thing, having a bit of a break from the intensity of Jerusalem, and a text message comes through saying, Jesus, your BFF is unwell. You see, Jesus is very close with Martha, Mary and Lazarus. What do we need to know about Martha, Mary and Lazarus? You need to know that these guys are a well-to-do family. The fact that Lazarus in this story is buried in a tomb, in a cave, means that they have money. If you do not have money in this culture, you are either just, it depends how poor you are, either just left on the street or just covered with some dirt. But he is in a, in a rock that is cut out into a tomb, which means they're well to do. These guys supported Jesus and his entire entourage in ministry. 
They were his home away from home. They fed him, they housed him, they looked after him, but not just him, everyone with him, right? Which means these guys have capacity to do that. Are you with me? And that means when a person who has this kind of wealth and and status in society becomes very unwell, there are others who are drawn to them. And so as Lazarus gets sick, the people of Jerusalem, which is only about three or four kilometres away, hear about this. And so these people, hordes of people start to come, right? So there's a really big crowd gathered with Mary and Martha, but not Jesus. And so they send word to Jesus to say, hey, 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 Lazarus is sick. Now, why does the word go out? Why do they say the one you love is sick? What is the expectation? The expectation is, I have seen you open the eyes of the blind. I have seen you heal the legs of the lame. I have seen you feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, from a few bits of bread and a few cans of tuna. I have seen you do the miraculous. And I know that you love Lazarus. I have seen you do these things for people you don't even know. People who have come to get stuff from you, but we have fed you. We have given you a place to rest. We have given you finance. We have supported you every step of the way. We know that you love us and we love you. So Lazarus is sick, Jesus. The expectation is what? Oh, that's all right, I'm on my way. And I'm gonna do what I do, which is just heal him, Jesus' name. Oh, he doesn't have to say that. In my name, he'd say. And Lazarus would come well. I don't think Mary and Martha are stressed here. I think they've been really patient. I think Lazarus has got unwell and they've just sort of waited their time. And it's got to this point now where it's getting bad. And they're like, ah, okay, now we need him. Go, go get him and he'll come. And you sort of get this impression that they're like, all right, Jesus, come, now's the time. And it's almost as if Martha's just waiting at the door. Like, oh, only, he's only 30 Ks away. It's just, he'll, he'll find a donkey or something. He'll ride. It'll only be a few hours and, and, and then he'll be here and this whole mess will be fixed up. So don't stress guys, it's all okay. But because Jesus loved Lazarus, he stayed where he was two more days. And you get this sense that just maybe for Mary and Martha, what started with anticipation ends in anger. Because they're like, this is the dude who can do all of this for people who just want stuff from him. And we actually love this guy. We have relationship with this guy. We've done everything for this guy. I expect that he will come. I expect that he will meet my need. I expect that he will do what I know he can do. And so I'm waiting and I'm believing and yet he's not rocking up. And I just wonder if there's anyone in this room who has felt that way before. That I have prayed to this God who I love, that I have given Him my life, I have served Him. I have rested in Him, I have sought His face. He loves me, I know He loves me and I love Him and I want Him, I believe Him and He's supposed to come through. So where are you? Why have you healed that person but you're not coming In my time of need, that person doesn't even go to church. 
That person doesn't even really believe in you that much and yet you're doing stuff for them. And here I am, I'm tithing for goodness sakes. And you're not coming through for me. I wonder if there's anyone here, if we're really honest with ourselves who have felt that way before. Like, where are you when I need you? And there's so much in this passage, but as, as we come to it, and we've taught on this before, but every time I read it, there's just more that continues to jump out. And what I want to focus on today is there's, there's, Jesus has something to say to those of us in that place through four specific interactions. There's four key interactions and each one is designed to strengthen those who are struggling. And we're gonna jump ahead. We're gonna start with Martha. Because again, the scene, there's Martha. She's waited four days. Lazarus is now dead and buried. Jesus didn't even make the funeral for his best friend. Do you understand how offensive that is? He didn't even bother coming to the funeral. Like he didn't, even, he didn't rock up when they needed him. But then he doesn't, he's just off doing his own thing. Four days, Lazarus is now in the tomb. And, and word comes to Martha that Jesus is finally come. And she's like, like the impression I get, is she's sitting, someone says, oh, Jesus on his way. And she's like, right. Right, that's it. And she's just, she's just on the march. And she meet, the Bible says that she meets him outside the village. Nah. This is Martha. She's the one who does the work. She's the business one. She gets stuff done. She's like, I'm having a conversation with this guy. And she walks out there and she meets him at the front of the village. And what does she say? If. If you had been here, if you had been here, my brother, it's no longer your friend. It's no longer the one you love, is it? The message was the one you love is sick. Now it's my brother. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus, I know that whatever you ask of God can still be done. There's this sense of now, I'm calling you to account. (laughs) You know, there's so... One thing that really grinds my gears as a father, I don't know if there's anyone else here, is when I ask my children to move or to do something, aka this morning, <laughs> and one or two, usually it's the, the boys, just continue to sit there, you know, just doing their thing. And then I come back, I'm like, excuse me, can you please hurry up? Because I've asked you to do something I'm like, yep. Keep eating their breakfast. I'm like, I've asked you to get dressed because we need to go to church. We've got stuff we've got to do. They're like, yeah, no worries. Anybody else? <laughs> Amen. Preach. Now that grinds my gears, right? That really starts to frustrate me. Now it's funny because my wife's probably laughing because I do the same thing to her. <laughs> like father, like sons. But it really frustrates me. And you just get this sense that just maybe Mary, uh, Martha's in kind of the same boat. She's like, I asked you to come. I specifically sent for you and you didn't rock up. And now I'm ticked off. But I know that you can still do something. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. 
And you know, when you're in a bad situation, you're going through some stuff and people bring the Christian cliche. And we have a bit of a chuckle about that, but some of you are sitting in this room and you've been in situations where people have come to try and encourage you and to bring a helpful word and they bring all the right things to say, but in the moment, they're the wrong thing. You don't need to hear that. And you get Mary's, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's like, I know the theology, Jesus, but I wanted you here four days ago because that theology, yes, I believe it, but that's not helping me now because my brother's not here. I know He'll rise again on the last day. I know the theology. I know the doctrine of resurrection from the dead. I believe in that, but I want my brother. And then Jesus comes in and corrects her. And He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And here's the first word for anyone who needs some strength in a struggle. The first word right here is that our hope is not in a doctrine of resurrection. Our hope is in a person who is resurrection. Come on, somebody. Our hope is in resurrection. Jesus doesn't say, I do resurrections. Jesus doesn't say, I can raise Lazarus. He says, I am resurrection and life. That is my nature. That is who I am. If you are in me, death is something you may go through, but you will not go to because in me is life. I am resurrection and life. That is who I am. And church, some of you need to hear this today because it's not just a doctrine. It's not just a theology. It's not just a pie in the sky when we die. It's not a false hope that makes us feel better when we're struggling or suffering. There is a very ever present reality that Jesus Christ, who is and who was and who will be, is resurrection life. And here's the thing, this is why this is so important is because this is fact. It's not a story. The reason the details are in here is because this is fact. There is a real person whose name is Jesus. He lived and he breathed and he ministered and history records it. And this person died on a cross for our sins, but he did not stay there. Why? Because he is resurrection. Not because He does resurrections, because He is resurrection, because death cannot hold Him down, because He is life. And so this one, He did rise from the dead and this person ascended to the Father and is now advocating on our behalf. Our hope is not in a doctrine. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ and His nature and His heart for us because He is the one who loves the Lazaruses of this world. That's you and that's me. He loves us and He's interceding for us. Let me put it this way. Just this week, we put out, like, we put out rat traps at our house, right? As long with other things, poisons and things like that. And we caught a rat this week. We actually caught one in a trap, right? And the idea was that if we caught a rat, well, you dispose of said rat. I don't know, like you're all, most of you are country people here. So hopefully you know what that means. 
but it means that the rat ceases to go on playing in the yard. So we've got this rat in a trap and the rat's freaking out because it's been caught and it's a bit stressed. And in the morning we come out and I'm like, okay, when the kids go to school, I'm gonna grab that and I'm gonna cease the rat from playing in the yard anymore. And my beautiful older son, Bailey, who loves animals more than anything in the world, looks at me with his beautiful blue eyes. He's like, dad, don't do that. Advocating for the rat. And I'm like, mate, it just has to be done. He's like, why? And we're, John and I talk like, rats carry diseases, Bailey. They're, they're filthy, disgusting, rotten animals. And they're, they're not good. And he goes, if you had a disease, you wouldn't want someone to kill you. <laughs> so I, I said, okay, I will release the rat and I won't kill it. Why? Because someone advocated for it. Someone who loved that rat more than that rat loved its own life. And so I took that rat in the car and I drove like 15 minutes away just to make sure it's not coming back to my house. And I opened up that cage and it darted into some farmer's paddock somewhere. And off it went. And I've wondered to myself, I wonder if that rat realises how lucky it is. I wonder if that rat appreciates the reason it has life is because someone stood in the gap on its behalf. Not because of any, you know, doctrine or theology of resurrection that it's one day going to rise to rat heaven. No, it's because someone advocated, someone stood in the gap. That is the hope for all who believe in Jesus, is that we have one, not who is a distant, far off, you know, disconnected religious figure. No, He is an ever-present, relational, personal God who loves a humanity. He loves humanity and He is seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede on behalf of humanity that we might have life in Him. That is our hope. That is the strength that we have. No matter what we're going through, life is in Christ. And we might go through death. We will all go through death unless He comes back beforehand. The grave is something we will go through. But if you are in Him, it is not something you will go to. You will go to resurrection, life, in Christ, and that is why we have strength to carry on. Second interaction. Let's look at Mary. You see, Mary, so uh, Jesus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. There is this powerful interaction, uh, a theological conversation that he's having with Martha that she grasps. And then After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, let's talk about Mary. Because Martha has this response where she hears that Jesus is coming. She's like, right, I'm off. And meets him outside the village. What does Mary do? She just stays right where she is. I get the sense that just maybe she's in one of those moods. 
She's like, oh, he thinks he can come waltzing into our house now? After he didn't even rock up when we needed him? Uh Uh-uh, I am staying right here. I'm not gonna go and talk to him. I'm not ready to talk to him. You know, I just need a moment. And in the fullness of time, that's when this will happen. So Martha goes off and does her thing with Jesus. And then the word comes back. It's like Martha sends the words like, okay, he now wants to see you, Mary. So she hops up and she comes out there. And it's really fascinating because where Mary's interaction with Jesus was all up here. It was this, you could say it was the head. It was this mind, this theological conversation where Jesus is trying to bring a correct understanding that our hope is in the person not, the, not just the doctrine, Mary comes with a very different space and it's this guttural emotional cry. Mary has a heart reaction. Watch this, Mary heard, she got up. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now we said they're people of stature, which means there's a whole lot of people and they've all come with Mary. This is a crowd. Jesus is there. It's like all of you, all coming at once to Jesus. And Mary's at the front and she is doing what? Weeping. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If, it's the same thing. If you'd showed up, this whole situation would be different. Again, you didn't even have to come. You could have just spoken the word like you did with the centurion. Why did you not intervene? If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But unlike Mary who wants to have the conversation, unlike Martha who wants to have the conversation, Mary's just on her face, just bawling her eyes out. She's got no other words. That's it. Watch this, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The second strength for those in the struggle is that yes, our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ, but is also a hope in the presence of Jesus Christ, in that He is present with us in our struggle. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unfamiliar with our suffering. He is very present. Now there's a whole lot that's been written about the nature of this cry. That word deeply moved and then the other word troubled in the, in the Greek, these, this, it's like this, it's an anger. It literally means the, the horse through its nose. Oh, that was almost dangerous. <laughs> the, the horses snort out of like fury. Like this is, this is not, it's not just a, a, a gentle weeping. This is, this is a guttural, almost anger. Like it's, it's this response that is in Jesus' soul when He sees Mary and He sees the crowd and He sees what this brokenness has done to them. 
and Jesus is is weeping. And there's so much that's been written about this. And some will say that it's compassion. Others will say that he's angry at death. We talked about this at our life group the other week and we went back and forth and back and forth like, what is this? And I, I don't think that Jesus is angry at death here as some theologians would say, because he knows that this sickness is not unto death. And the more I've read it and I've realised the context is all about belief. I think his anger and this guttural response is that, is that there, are, there is a humanity which has not caught a revelation of who he actually is. He's angry at the, this lack of trust in who he is. And so he's like, look, you're, you're so, there's so much brokenness. And yes, I feel like I understand the brokenness of the humanity that I've come to redeem, but I long for you to know the hope that is in me. And so he, he weeps with Mary and he weeps with the people. He's, he's present with them in their suffering. And this is such a hope for us. We do not suffer alone. Those people in the Ukraine are not suffering alone. You, whatever you're going through, are not suffering alone because we have a high priest who is not unfamiliar, who has suffered with us, who suffered on the cross so that as we look to the cross, we see the God of all creation, the one who is resurrection and life, bearing everything we've ever borne upon his own shoulders so that he could look you in the eye and say, I get it. So that when humans come to other humans to give that response, we don't really know what to do. And we say, oh, it must be hard. We're like, it doesn't connect. But when Jesus looks you in the eye and He says, I know, then you know that He knows and you're not alone. And it strengthens Mary's soul. How do we know? Fast forward to chapter 12. Because unlike Mary, it says she believed. It doesn't show us that, unlike Martha, it says she believed. It doesn't show us that about Mary until you get to chapter 12. And Mary, something has happened in Mary. She's had such a powerful revelation of who Jesus is that she then pours the anointing oil on Jesus as He's reclining. And it, Jesus says, she's done this as a prophetic sign to prepare me for my death. Something's happened in Mary's heart. God has opened up a window into Mary. She understands what Jesus is doing. She recognises through this whole story of Jesus raising Lazarus, of Jesus allowing Lazarus to die, that it's not just about Lazarus. It's actually about Him and what He is coming to do. That He is resurrection and life, but He will pass through death in order to bring about that life, not just for Himself, but for all humanity. And so she pours out the oil as a sign of her belief and a prophetic sign to all of those in the room and for all of us around that this is what He's come to do. That it's so much deeper than just Him doing the miracle, but it's the fact that He is the miracle and when we are in Him, we walk in that same miracle too. A powerful reality from a heartfelt Interaction. Number three. Number three, let's go, carry on. See, there's Martha and there's Mary and then there's the crowd. Verse 38, once more deeply moved, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb 
and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance and Jesus says, take away the stone. So he's crying. He's got this whole emotional thing going on. Take away the, take away the stone. Martha says, but Lord, this, uh, by this time there's a bad odour for he's been there four days. And as I said, it sounds like a strange thing for someone to raise in the midst of this whole situation that she's concerned about the smell. But it's, it's not the smell, it's the, the revelation of Jewish tradition. Because for a Jew, if someone within the first three days of death, the Jews believed that the spirit hovered over a person. And at any point in time, that spirit could re-enter the body and could come back to life. And so for three days, they wept and they mourned, but they genuinely believed that that person might themselves come back to life. It was a part of their tradition. But when you got past the third day, that spirit was gone and the sign was decomposition. As soon as it started to smell, the spirit had left. And that person was gone. It was over. It was done. And Jesus waits till there's a smell. Because the worse the situation, the more it reveals that it's a situation only he can save. And when it's a situation that only he can save, it brings glory to his name. It's all about him. And so he waits. So this is a powerful word because what Martha's saying is that all hope is lost. We all know that. He's gone, Jesus. It's done. It's done. And he's like, I'm resurrection and life. He says, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. Get rid of that thing. And then he gets in there and he says, Lazarus. He calls him by name because he knows you by name. He calls him by name, says, Lazarus, come out. And I wait, if he just said, come out, I wonder how many people would have come out because <laughs> he's resurrection and life. But he, had, he was specific. He's like, Lazarus, come out. And in that moment, Lazarus is like, life comes back in his body. And there he is in his rags, just like, (laughs) and he walks out. And he walks out and then Jesus is like, take off the grave clothes because everyone's freaking out. Like, what do we do? He's like, it's obvious. All that stuff that's preventing him from breathing right now and stopping him from being able to move properly, just take that off because he was dead and now he's alive because I'm resurrection and life. So he says, Lazarus, come out. And then watch verse 45, as Lazarus comes out, take off the grave clothes. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Here's the third strength for your soul. This Jesus, this Jesus who is the person that we hope in, whose presence is with us by his spirit and constantly engaging in us. Guess what? This Jesus has power. Come on, somebody. This Jesus has power. He has power to do immeasurably more than we hope or imagine. He has power to go along with His promise. He is powerful and mighty and able. And because of that, the Jews believe. God wants to intervene. Now, there are times we pray and for whatever reason, He says, wait. Sometimes He says, no. But sometimes in that moment, He's gonna say, yes. Sometimes it's not just about the future and, and, and our eternity with Him. Sometimes He wants to reveal His glory to you so that others might believe right now. 
And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what in your life you think is dead and buried. I don't know what dreams you have. I don't know what hopes that you had. I don't know what, uh, you know, maybe it's a marriage that you think not the marriage is dead. There's already a bad smell. Maybe it's relationship with your children. You're like, there's already a bad smell. It's hopeless. Maybe it's the children's faith. You think there's a very bad smell right there. And then, you know, you're like, it's done. It's done. It's done. Jesus says, no, it's not. Roll away the stone. Stop hiding it. Roll away the stone. Whatever's going on, today is the day. Roll away the stone. Bring it out into the open. Reveal it before me. Allow people to see it. Allow me to see it. And as I see it, I'm gonna step into that place. I'm gonna call it out. and I'm gonna call into it life. Some of you need to hear that today. Roll away the stone. Something that you thought was buried and dead and badly Odoured, it's time to push that stone away and allow the Son of the living God to speak life into that space. And believe again, not just for you, but so that others might believe. Band, you can come up and we're gonna close. The last thing I want you to see is His interaction with the disciples. We're gonna go back to the beginning because all of this, all of this must be seen in the context in which Jesus said it. Because when he hears word, go to verse four. When he heard this, what is the first thing Jesus says? What's the first thing he says? This sickness is not unto death. This sickness will not end in death. No, It is for God's glory. So that God's Son may be glorified through it. It is for God's glory. It's for God's glory. This can be hard for us to wrestle with, but God's love, because it goes on, it says, yes, He loved Lazarus. God's love for us is less about our comforts, less about our pleasures, less about us feeling good in and of ourselves. And it is all about His glory. God's love for us, God's love for humanity, it's not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. It's a love that refines us so that He might get the glory. God's heart in all of this, in everything we go through and every struggle is that we might be a people who believe through difficulty, whose faith is strengthened through trial, whose feet are firm on the foundation of the cross and the rock of Jesus Christ, no matter what storms come, so that our witness would lead to belief. And when people believe, Jesus gets the glory. And He is about His glory more than He is about our comfort. He is about His glory more than He is about our pleasure. He is about His glory more than He is about anything else. He is about His glory. And when we understand that, then we can stand firm in the foundation of faith, no matter what trials come our way, because we know that we will one day stand with Him in resurrection life for all of eternity. He's all about His glory, His glory. That's the thing all through this chapter, that you would believe, that you may believe, that they would believe. Yes, Lord, I believe. It brings 
Him glory. That's Jesus. That is the God we serve. The question that we come to then is do you believe? Greek word, pisteo. It doesn't mean do you acknowledge His existence? James says the demons believe and shudder. It means a deep trusting that He is resurrection and life. It means a surrendering of heart to the only one who can truly meet our needs. Do we believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is resurrection life? Do you believe He's the way, the truth and the life? Do you believe that this sickness is not unto death? Whatever you're going through, no matter, I don't wanna downplay anything. Some of you are going through tremendous, horrible suffering, but do you believe He is resurrection life? Do you believe that a day will come when He will come on the clouds in glory and a day will come when we will stand before His presence. And if we are in Him, then He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your rest. No matter what is going on in your world, He is enough because He is resurrection and life, because He is all that we need. There is no greater need than resurrection and life. He is enough. Now come back to the rat. I wonder if the rat saw the cage as love or mercy. When he's in the cage and he's freaking, he's like, man, I just wanna be out of here. But here's the thing, if he wasn't in the cage, he doesn't encounter my son and he's not set free. Because if he's not in the cage, he never meets Bailey Shepherd. He never meets the advocate. He never meets the one who would stand on his behalf and say, this thing deserves to live. He never would have. He probably would have nibbled the poison that was around and that would have been it. But instead he goes in the cage and the cage becomes the mercy. Are you with me? I know it's a weird metaphor, but it's resonating in my heart right now. He meets, this is, this is Jesus for us. Jesus is our advocate. And sometimes we think that the cage is, is God's absence or the cage, the trouble, the strife is, is God's you know, distance from us or, or the fact that He doesn't want to have anything to do. with. Maybe it's even God's anger or hatred of us. Maybe it's even the fact that God doesn't even exist, but actually sometimes the trial, the struggle, the cages that we have to go through are actually the means of God's love because they're the means by which the Son is revealed to us. And as the Son is revealed to us, we encounter the Advocate. We encounter the One who stands on our behalf. And as we encounter Him, it brings Him glory. I wonder if that rat went back to his rat friends like, guys, I've met the Advocate. I've met the Son. 
You wouldn't believe it. There is one who stands on our behalf. There is one who advocates before the Father on our behalf. He's the one who sets us free. Guys, you've got to come and meet Him. I wonder if He did that. He probably didn't because He's a rat. But the question is, do we? Because we're not rats, we're human beings with minds. We're human beings who have the conversation at the edge of the village. We're human beings who fall on our knees before the Son and weep before Him in our confusion. We're human beings who have seen the hand of God at work in the world before. This is who we are. Do we give Him glory for who He is? Do you believe? And so as we sing this song, I wanna pray, we wanna pray for anyone who's going through anything who needs strength. And maybe that's healing. Maybe that's a spiritual strengthening. I don't know what it is. I know the kids are coming back, but this is an important moment. Don't be distracted. This is an important moment to create space, to roll away the tombstone and say, come out. What needs the breath of God? Bring it before God and let's pray. So prayer team, can you get ready? And we'll go, prayer team will be over there. Come and get ready. And as we sing this song, if you want prayer, come and get prayer and believe in the one who is resurrection and life. Stand to your feet. Loving Heavenly Father, we worship You, we praise You, we thank You. You are a good God. Lord, we pray by the power of Your Spirit that You would move right now. No matter what's going on in our lives, wherever we need encouragement, wherever we need strength, whether we're right in the storm or whether we're singing in the sunshine, whatever's going on, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, breathe, Lord. Stretch out Your hand to heal. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would know that You are with us. Lord, speak to our minds that we would know who You are not just what you can do. Minister to my brothers and sisters, minister to each and every one of us right now, Lord, that what is dead would come to life, that what has been lost would be found, that what is blind would see, that what is decaying would be regenerated, that we wouldn't be afraid to bring what we think is offensive into the presence of the living God. But we would boldly come to the one who is calling us, come. I am resurrection and life. We love you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.